Freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome, one and all. Welcome, wherever you may be. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. We're broadcasting live right here on the Intel Hub News Network. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, theintelhubnewsnetwork.com. Today is Tuesday, December 28, 2010. And this is the last What on Earth is Happening show in the year of 2010. Next week will be coming to you from the year 2011. That is, if you believe in the concept of time. As we've talked about before on this show, there is really only the ever-present moment of now. That's all there really is. But uh, that aside, we have a good show lined up here today. We're going to continue talking about religion as a method of mind control. I'll be doing this probably this week and next, and then we'll be moving on to a new topic. But I think that this topic is so critically important that I want to expand on uh, the other two major world religions. We've discussed Christianity in depth, and I'd like to discuss uh, Islam and Judaism and then talk about them in a holistic framework, kind of a model that uh, I have noticed, but I'm not the first, um, an overarching model of correspondence um, that takes into account these three great religions and kind of relates them to the individual consciousness and the human brain. And this is going to be kind of a a very abstract and somewhat out there concept, but if you follow along with me, and uh, I think some of the images in the podcast that I'll put up, um, you know, I usually put up images, related images with, with each podcast on my podcast page so that um, after the show, people, if they want to go back and listen again to the shows, can get a visual representation of some of the ideas that I talk about on the show. Uh, I'll also sometimes post links to books, documents, and videos. So do avail yourself of that information on my website, What on Earth is Happening, by going to that website and then clicking the Podcasts tab, where you can listen to uh, free archives of every one of these broadcasts, and like I said, uh, get uh, supporting material on those pages for each podcast. 
So uh, let me give the call-in numbers, and then I'm going to read a couple of event announcements, and then we can get started. Uh, feel free to call in at any time. Uh, I, love, I like taking calls. The callers to this show are always great, um, and there are no taboo topics here. Uh, I'm only going to give one call-in number here today because I don't know if uh, anyone is uh, um, screening the blog talk line. Uh, Bob usually does that, but Bob Tuscan is on vacation this week. Um, so uh, I'm just going to go with the uh, talk shoe call-in number for tonight. Uh, we'll go back to a uh, dual uh, call-in number uh, next week. So for tonight, the call-in number for the show is 724-444-7444. Once again, the call-in number 724-444-7444. The call ID number that you will be prompted for for what on earth is happening is 83515. Once again, the call ID number for this show is 83515. No taboo to topics. Call in and talk about whatever you like, and hopefully we'll get a few callers and we can take some calls here this evening. I have a couple of event announcements uh, for events coming up in my area. Again, I read these to promote local activism because uh, that's what it is ultimately all about is once you know doing something with that knowledge, once you know what's really going on here, um, become active and take that information to other people in your community. So coming up next month at Germ Books and Gallery, Free Your Mind Conference Fundraiser Number 3. This is the third fundraiser for the upcoming Free Your Mind Conference in April. This will be taking place Sunday, January 16, 2011 at 2 o'clock p.m. The admission is $10 for two very special presentations by two of the co-hosts of the Free Your Mind Conference. One being myself, Mark Passio, I'll be presenting a uh, brand new presentation that I put together entitled Everything I Needed to Know in Life I Learned by Watching the Wizard of Oz. And this will be an exploration of the esoteric occult symbolism contained in the perennial classic movie The Wizard of Oz, of course, uh, derived from the book by Al Frank Baum. Also, giving a special presentation another co-host of the Free Your Mind Conference, Michael Austin Melton. Michael Melton is a field investigator from the Mutual UFO Network of Pennsylvania, and he will be giving a presentation entitled The History of Mind Control in America. The History of Mind Control in America. It should be uh, very fascinating. This is coming up at Germ Books. Germ Books is at 2005 Frankfurt Avenue, 2005 Frankfurt Avenue in Philadelphia. For more information, check out germbooks.com or freeyourmindconference.com. Saturday, January 22, 2011, the activist group Truth, Freedom, Prosperity will be hosting a networking social. This social event will be taking place at Liberty's Pub. Liberty's is at the corner of 2nd and Fairmount in Philadelphia, and the social gathering, the networking social for Truth, Freedom, Prosperity will be held on the second floor of Liberty's Pub. Uh, this will also kind of double as a, another Free Your Mind conference fundraising appeal because we're still uh, kind of in dire straits uh, for 
uh, some cash to bring in some of the out-of-town speakers. It's not really looking too good. We only raised uh, slightly less than $1,500 in addition to the hall money, so we raised close to $3,500 overall. We really needed to raise close to $9,000, so we fell well short of our goal for the fundraising for the event. So unfortunately, it may need to be scaled back if we don't uh, get the uh, the funds that we need to bring in some of the speakers from out of town because their uh, flights and hotel rooms uh, you know can be somewhat expensive. So that having been said, uh, Saturday, January 22nd, I believe they're going to start this at 7 o'clock p.m. and go throughout the evening. Uh, Truth, Freedom, Prosperity presents 2011 Networking Social at Liberties on 2nd and Fairmount in Philadelphia. For more information on this uh, great activist group, please visit their website at www.truthfreedomprosperity.org. That's truthfreedomprosperity.org. And finally, the Free Your Mind Conference itself, a conference on consciousness, mind control, and the occult. Saturday, April 9th, and Sunday, April 10th, 2011, at Ruba Hall, R-U-B-A Hall. Ruba is at 414 Green Street, 414 Green Street in Philadelphia. The doors will be opening at 9 a.m. The program for each day will begin at 10 a.m. Admission is $20 per day per person in advance and $30 per day per person at the door. The Free Your Mind Conference is a unique two-day event in Philadelphia featuring multiple speakers and diverse educational materials for the purpose of raising public awareness of the critically important topics of mass mind control techniques, the covert and subversive influences upon our consciousness and behavior, trauma-based and ritualized abuse, and the practical mental and emotional healing methodologies available for those affected by these devices. The featured speakers, Aaron McCollum, Alfred Weber, Andrew Basiago, Bob Tuscan, Farah Yerdozu, Jan Irvin, John Nicholson, Larkin Rose, Laura Eisenhower, Mark Matika, Mark Passio, Mel Fabregas, Michael Kelly, and Suzanne Taylor. For more information on this unique event, please visit www.freeyourmindconference.com. All right. Uh, just to let people know, it's uh, once again a frigid day here in Philadelphia in uh, the first week of winter here. So uh, you may hear a little bit of background noise. That's because I have a heater running in this house. So I apologize if that creates any background noise interference. Uh, you'll have to bear with me on that. We had a huge snowstorm in Philadelphia, a big nor'easter, uh, a couple of days back, and uh, we got about, I guess, 12 to 14 inches of snow on the ground. So winter's in full swing early in the season this year. I don't mind that I'm a winter person myself. I like the cold. I enjoy the snow. It doesn't bother me a bit. Driving can be a pain sometimes, but, uh, hey, you know, take things as they come. With, with that having been said, let's jump into uh, what were we talking about last week? We were, I, I ended the show, uh, we were talking about the, um, the planets. We were talking about the planets as the, uh, the ancient 
a septenary of gods, the, the seven gods of the ancient world. And these are uh, the, the planets that can be seen with the naked eye. Uh, the naked eye can't see anything beyond Saturn, you know, aside from other stars and uh, some galaxies. But with the naked eye, you really uh, can only see, uh, in our solar system, out to Saturn. The planets beyond Saturn aren't visible without the aid of uh, some kind of optic, optics device. So the, the seven objects from the Earth that could be seen with the naked eye in the ancient world are the sun and the moon, of course. And then the planets that can be seen are Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. So these are the seven ancient, quote, gods of the ancient world that are uh, the gods of astrotheology. And specifically, the two uh, gods of astrotheology are the sun and the moon. And then, of course, there are the other planets and the stars. And in that um, pantheon of gods, or in that uh, sect or cult, however you want to look at it, um, of astrotheology, Saturn is the ruling deity because Saturn is the farthest planet, therefore it's, uh, that can be seen with the eye, and therefore its orbit is the greatest. It, its orbit um, encapsulates the orbit of all the other planets uh, inward toward the sun. Therefore, Saturn was seen as the ruler of the planets. So um, in the planetary bodies, Saturn is the high, uh, you know, highest aspect of that hierarchy of, quote, gods, and then, of course, there are the, uh, the stars, which are the small lights of the heavens in addition to the planets, and so that forms the third major cult of astrotheology being the stars and planets, or the stellar cult, as it was known. So you have uh, the solar cult, the lunar cult, and, the, and the, the stellar cult. So the cult of the sun, the cult of the moon, and the cult of the stars and planets. And you know, we were we left off talking about how, yes, we can look at the astrotheological aspects of the basis for religion, but really we need to go to deeper and um, more, um, I guess you could say, uh, synchromistic aspects or the aspects of this that really teach us about ourselves and our own psyche. So what I was doing at the end of the show last week, before we go into talking about, you know, this is just kind of a bridge. Uh, into talking about some of the other religions, uh, the other two major religions in addition to Christianity being uh, uh, Islam and Judaism. Uh, I, I want to just uh, go over this model of the, the chakra systems of the body, uh, a Vedic um, a spiritualist tradition, the chakras, these wheels of energy that are found within the body near um, glandular activity and that are really kind of... Um, um, gauges for health or disease, and they are uh, internal energy upwellings that exist within ourselves, and more than that, they are uh, talk about, they, they re relate to and correspond to, this is going to be a big topic of the show today, is correspondence. Um, th these correspond to different aspects of the personality, and what, what the really enlightened ancients weren't uh, what we're doing was not really worshiping these external um, planetary bodies as gods per se. This is what it may have devolved into as any tradition uh, sort of devolves from its original intent. But um, what they really understood is that these were 
aspects, symbolic aspects of fundamental uh, aspects of the personality that exist within, within the self, within the human psyche. Just like we talked about Christianity, you know, you have the external astro-theological story that is given to the masses, the exoteric story. Uh, And then, you know, beneath that lies the esoteric astro-theological aspects of Christianity, which we discussed at length last week, the story of the sun and the houses of the zodiac, the helpers of the sun, the savior uh, myth, you know, that has been um, has been uh, told throughout the ancient world, you know, probably hundreds of times. I think I gave over 40 examples last week and how it's passed down to us today as Christianity. Uh, but there's a deeper tradition that lies beneath that even, that gets to the heart of the matter and the truth that underlies uh, different religious traditions. And that is always about the self. It is always about our psyche and our uh, aspects of our uh, true selves and what really our deeper motivations are as an individual and a species. And the ancients were really in touch with that and they understood it well. And so they you know, they symbolized uh, this through the, um, uh, you know, the symbolic deification of these planets as gods. But they understood that this was, that they weren't the actual gods, that, that this was symbolic. And, you know, they didn't really worship the sun per se. Now, some of them did. I'm not going to say that that wasn't happening, okay? I'm talking about the people who really came up with these original traditions, and understood this to be just an aspect of the principle of correspondence, that the universe is self-similar across scales, okay? That that which is above is like to that which is below, as it is stated in the Hermetic tradition, okay? That we live in a uh, a holistic, holographic reality in which the very small is a, uh, or the microcosm is a reflection of the macrocosm, or the very large, and vice versa. The very large is a reflection of the very small. The whole is contained within all of its parts, okay? And each part reflects the totality of the whole. It can be said a million different ways, but it generates the same basic holographic fractal principles that underlie reality and that we are really now only rediscovering through uh, quantum mechanics and and other scientific fields uh, of the modern day. So... um, To go back to this model that I was uh, starting to break down and outline last week, the the Vedic chakra systems, okay, they, again, are about these energy upwellings within the body, but more than that, they're about different aspects of the self or the psyche. So we looked at the root chakra, okay, and this is what I... Uh, corresponded to the planet Saturn. And there's an image up there on the last podcast on the page. I believe it was podcast 39. Tonight's show will be number 40. So uh, if you go up to the site and you go to the podcast page, somewhere in the related images for podcast 39, you'll see an image of the planets. And then the next one after that, you'll see an image of the planets as the chakras of the body. So I'll I'll start this over again today and lay out the planets in their correspondences to these chakras. I'll name the chakras, talk about the colors of them as well, because if you look at the image, you can see the related colors, okay? And, um, you know, we can see how these will relate to different aspects of the self, okay? 
So Saturn in the ancient world was called the inhibitor or the disciplinarian. This is, uh, corresponds to the root chakra. The root chakra in the Vedic tradition was call, called the Muladhara chakra. So the Muladhara chakra, uh, as a matter of fact, when we get into talking about Judaism, uh, I'm going to begin to break down some Kabbalistic knowledge from the uh, tradition of Kabbalah. And I will do this to the best of my ability, to the extent that I have studied Kabbalah myself, because I think initiating people into this tradition is a very important um, thing to do and a very uh, important thing to help people to understand what this tradition was originally intended as. Um, I've said in, in the past on the show that this section on religion was going to be sort of an introduction or an initiation into different occult schools of thought. And that is what we're going to start getting into when we talk about uh, Judaism in particular, because I'm going to start, again, breaking down some Kabbal of the Kabbalistic tradition. But I'll pick up this um, uh, chakra correspondences when we come back after this break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Intel Hub News Network. We'll be right back, folks. over the years, but the crazy part is he's usually right. You see, he predicted the collapse of GM, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and America's biggest mall owner, General Growth Properties, a few years ago. In fact, Baronis called his work a dire prophecy. Now, this has nothing to do with the stock market, but it could have a huge impact on almost every aspect of your life. And recently, he created a video, which you can watch online for free, detailing his biggest and most important prediction yet. And it's a real eye-opener. I can't stress this enough. You should at least watch this free video online today. He explains everything you need to know, including simple steps you can take to protect yourself. You can find the video at www.com endofamerica8.com. Although this video may be offensive to some audiences, it's worth checking out. 
Again, that's www.endofamerica8.com. Watch this free video at www.endofamerica8.com. You are listening to the Intel Hub News Network, crushing the New World Order piece by piece. Secure your future. Get your non-hybrid seed pack now. With the looming economic crisis, food shortages, and other toxic disasters, now is the time to be ready. Just click on the Heirloom Organics banner at the top of our Blog Talk radio page today. Secure your future and the future of your family in hard times. Heirloom Organic Seeds. Join me, Joe Joseph, John King, and A.C. Griffith, Thursdays and Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern for Freedom Link Radio on the Intel Hub News Network. Okay, we're back on what on earth is happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. What we were getting into before the break was uh, the chakra system and how this uh, kind of corresponds to the planetary system. And this is a uh, principle of correspondence um, as it is laid out in the hermetic tradition because we are all kind of a solar system in and of ourselves. We are uh, a, a... a zodiac in and of ourselves. We're a galaxy in and of ourselves, and we're a universe in and of ourselves. And really, this is what I'm trying to get across here, is that studying these traditions, there is a positive aspect of all of them, because if we understand that the, the knowledge that is really worth having is knowledge of self and how we work and how our psyches actually operate, and that knowledge is what will actually free us from the tyranny that we're experiencing because it is all done through psychological manipulations, which I call mind control because that's what it is, okay? A lot of people don't like that term, tough. That's what it is. Deal with it, okay? Um, It's real. It's happening. It's ongoing. It's been going on since before you were born. And uh, we need to come to terms with that. And the the way to really get in touch with... um, Uh, That knowledge, in many cases, is to study the occult and to study hidden uh, systems of knowledge that are reserved basically for the initiated or the esoteric uh, aspects of of society. So we're looking at the chakra system, and like I said, I'm going to look. We're going to look when we talk about Judaism and the Judaic tradition, uh, the the underlying Judaic tradition. We're going to look at Kabbalah, and this will kind of relate to this as well because the uh, Kabbalistic symbolism relates to the chakra system as well. So the, the, the planet Saturn is what we were talking about. That's kind of what bridged me into that uh, brief aside there. Um, was known as the inhibitor or the disciplinarian of the uh, solar system. It is the uh, inhibitory aspect, the one that uh, comes in when we're out of balance and makes its influence known. Okay? Uh, it has to correct. It's a correct a correction device, okay? So this is why law is often associated with uh, a Saturnian cult, 
you know, judges wearing black robes. We'll get into that when we talk about uh, the, the religion of Judaism. But Saturn, um, again, looked at as the, the king of the planets or the, the, the top of the hierarchy when it came to the planets because it, because it had the widest uh, orbit. And so therein it contained all the other planets. But this, relates, this idea relates to the base chakra of the body. Now, the base chakra is actually at the very root of the spinal column, the base of the spine. And this is traditionally um, associated with base consciousness or instinctual behavior. Okay? So this is uh, fight or flight mode. This is uh, you know, actual um, combative consciousness. This is a very low state of awareness, you know, a controller aspect, in other words. That which uh, responds to something uh, reactively or with a need to control, okay? Often with a need to, uh, you know, straighten something out or set something right or correct course as well, but really not without too much direction there, just with a, a strong hand, very masculine energy. So this chakra was, is traditionally given the color red. Red is a, a correspondence to the, the left brain, as we've talked about before on the show when we talked about money. The red frequencies correlate to the, red, the, the, the left side of the brain, okay? the, the male uh, aspects of, of the personality, the masculine, I should say, aspects of the personality. This is yang energy. Yang energy in its full swing really takes place within the root chakra. This is um, tribal instincts. This is, you know, um, caveman consciousness, let's call it, okay? The very base consciousness, all right? Um, domination, control, etc. And this is the lowest of this energy, yet there's a positive side to this. Um, there's a positive side to uh, this as well because without some sort of a drive like that, there wouldn't be really any survival. Again, yeah, it's the fight or flight mechanism and it's dominator aspects, but it's also the force that motivates you to physically stay alive, okay? And to live in the physical world, okay? Motor skills, the need for food, recognizing when you're under attack from the, you know, predators or a dangerous, uh, you're in a dangerous environment. This is, the, the, this is a necessary, although low consciousness, quality that exists within us. The idea is to continuously raise our energy upwards so that we're ruled, we rule ourselves through the higher aspects of the personality, the higher aspects of consciousness, the higher energy, energies of the higher chakra systems, and we don't get trapped in the lower ones, which is what really we are, we have done to ourselves collectively as a species. So the Muladhara chakra is traditionally colored red, uh, interestingly, its shape is a square, okay, a, a, a block or, you know, a, re, a re regimented object. In Freemasonry, again, the square is, which this corresponds to, as well as Kabbalah, the, the square is a, a symbol of base consciousness as well, okay, being a tool of a builder, a square, okay, a 90-degree angle, not really found in nature, and it represents base consciousness in Freemasonry. Uh, until it is turned around, okay, or in other words, it is uprighted, so that we upright our base instincts, and you know, then we uh, leave the square and go toward the compasses, which is compassion and higher consciousness, or again relating to the higher chakras. So Saturn relates to this chakra, and you see, I put that 
uh, at the base chakra of the image. Now we go forward to the next chakra and we come to Jupiter. Uh, Jupiter is the planet that it corresponds with um, a desire, with sexual energy, and it is the uh, correspondence to the sacrum chakra, or some people call this the genital chakra. It's the genital area of the body. It's actually very slightly higher than the genitals, but uh, it's associated with that general area of the body. And uh, it's, um, this is called the, uh, swad, uh, the, the Swadhisthara chakra, chakra, the Swadhisthara chakra, and um, um, I'm sorry, the Swadhisthana chakra. And this is the, the shape that is corresponds to this is uh, a crescent moon, okay? It's often a womb shape or an egg shape, something similar to that. Uh, the, co- the color that corresponds to this chakra is orange, orange. And Jupiter, in fact, does ha- actually have sort of an orange and yellowish tint to it, brownish, orangish, yellowish. Uh, interesting correspondence there. But what this chakra represents and what the planet in general represents is desire. And again, that corresponds to sexual energy, of course, when it is in a lust uh, aspect. But it also corresponds to uh, the desire to want to know, the desire to want to improve oneself, the desire to want to gain or attain or aspire to higher levels of knowledge and development within the self. So uh, this is uh, kind of a, uh, a positive influence, and it is a step up from the just base needs being met and you know, uh, survival-only mentality. So we really need to at least get to that before anything further unfolds uh, toward our higher, the, the higher levels of our nature. And um, this is often depicted as you know, the, the, the beginning of initiation, okay? the desire to want to uh, start to learn about the, the personality, start to learn about the psyche, start to understand more about the self, okay? as was written in the Delphic, on the Delphic Oracle in Greece in their mystery tradition, know the self and you will know the universe and the gods. And this is what the planet Jupiter kind of begins to open up through initiation, through the, the wanting, the desire to go forward toward truth and out of pure base consciousness or animalistic consciousness. So that is the, um, the second chakra. And that would, in this solar system, this solar system we, that we all carry within ourselves, uh, that would correspond to the planet Jupiter or the uh, sacrum chakra. Okay? So moving forward to the next planet inward and the next chakra would be Mars. Mars is the god of war. Okay? Mars corresponds to the solar plexus chakra, the solar plexus being right near the, the, the diaphragm, okay, uh, you know, the stomach area, the guts, in other words, because this chakra represents will, willpower is what the chakra represents. It represents courage. This chakra is called in the Vedic tradition the Manipura chakra, again, corresponding with the solar plexus, and its color is yellow. And that's interesting because, you know, when we lack courage, people say that we're yellow. It's just a, a, you know, a phrase that it, we generally reserve for people who are cowardly or don't have guts or don't have will, okay, don't have courage. So interesting how the, the language reflects some of this 
And, um, you know, Mars is the, the god of war, okay, the god of, uh, you know, uh, pure male will power and uh, actually conquering, a god of, you know, conquering others, warfare, um, pure willpower exerted, okay, getting things done, right, the, the actual ability to actualize something, not just talk about it, think about it, but, then, but actually do it, okay? So that's willpower. And this is one of the most important aspects. See, this, this chakra is uh, the, the highest of the lowest three chakras, but it, if it is used properly, if it is unified with the higher chakras, including the heart chakra, it is one of the most important because this is what actually gets us to activate ourselves and take action in the physical world. This chakra has to be ruled by the higher chakras for us to take proper action in the world. But still, it is a quite important aspect of the self because we can think uh, all we want about what's, you know, what we know to be true. We can know in our hearts that it's true. We can believe it. We can you know, uh, you know, feel positive emotion about it. But unless we actually use our will center, our willpower, to actually get things done in the physical domain in which we live and operate, nothing actually changes. Nothing actually gets done. This is partly why the situation continues the way that it is. So few people have activated will centers within themselves. So this is a very important uh, aspect of this um, whole chakra system in the Vedic uh, tradition of the uh, Indus Valley, uh, you know, India in general. And um, Mars corresponds, the planet Mars, the masculine planet of Mars corresponds with this solar plexus chakra or the Manipura chakra. So the next chakra going forward uh, in this system is the Anahata chakra. This is the heart chakra. And everyone knows where the heart is at in the body. This is the color associated with this is green. You can see we're stepping through the visible color spectrum of light. We started with red, then moved upward to orange, the higher the frequency, the higher the chakra. The higher the frequency of right, light, the higher the uh, frequency of the chakra, and the higher it is in the body along the, the middle of the body, the spinal column. Okay, So the, these energy wheels correspond with the frequencies of light, and they correspond with the planets. Again, this show is highly about correspondences, okay? as we'll even see more of a little bit later. So we go to the Anahata chakra. This is the Earth-Moon system, okay? So a lot of scientists don't even talk about this as a single planetary uh, system. They talk about it almost as a dual uh, pl planet, the Earth-Moon, okay? Because our moon is, exhibits, we talked about this a little bit in the last couple of weeks, exhibits qualities that no other moon in our solar system does. It is bigger in proportionary size to the planet than any other moon, and, uh, you know, we touched upon the controversial subject a little bit that the moon may not even be a natural satellite. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation going on about that. And I posted a book called Gods of Air and Darkness on my podcast section last week that uh, touches upon this topic a little bit. But it's a very good book that talks about ancient, uh, lost ancient civilizations and um, human origins, the origins of our current civilization, and it proposes a lot of intriguing questions. I highly recommend it. It's written back in the 70s by Richard Mooney. Um, and um, 
no, the, the Earth-Moon's system, okay, taken together. The Moon, of course, is seen from the Earth, so the Earth is not contained in the, the this, uh, you know, system of gods of the ancient world because we're on it. We're, we're viewing things from that perspective, so it's not included in the objects we see in the sky, but the Moon is. So, Ultimately, what we're, I'm getting at here is that the heart chakra is all about what's really going on here on the earth. This is a, this is a place that souls really incarnate to, to learn about compassion, natural law, um, understanding of the self, care, true care. That's what this whole experience is about, in case you haven't figured that out. You have to care enough to make a change. You have to care enough to change yourself. Okay, it's all about care. It's all about developing true care, care toward the higher aspects of consciousness and the care to really motivate people to evolve to higher states of awareness and consciousness so that the species evolves in, in consciousness. So we'll pick up from that point when we come back at another commercial break. I'm Mark Passio. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Intel Hub News Network. A very wealthy U.S. citizen is predicting that in 2011, we will witness the most important day in America in more than 50 years. He says it will change everything about our lives. The way you shop, travel, invest, educate your children, and even how you take care of your health and family. Now this man has made some outrageous predictions over the years, but the crazy part is he's usually right. You see, he predicted the collapse of GM, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and America's biggest mall owner, General Growth Properties, a few years ago. In fact, Baronis called his work a dire prophecy. Now, this has nothing to do with the stock market, but it could have a huge impact on almost every aspect of your life. And recently, he created a video, which you can watch online for free, detailing his biggest and most important prediction yet. And it's a real eye-opener. I can't stress this enough. You should at least watch this free video online today. He explains everything you need to know, including simple steps you can take to protect yourself. You can find the video at www.com endofamerica8.com. Although this video may be offensive to some audiences, it's worth checking out. Again, that's www.endofamerica8.com. Watch this free video at www.endofamerica8.com. Are you still paying your credit cards and so-called bank loans thinking that you owe the money? Do you feel like it's your moral obligation but can't see an end in sight? Well, what if I told you that in truth? you don't know a single penny and that the banks know this and hope you don't find out here's where we come in free2prosper.com specializes in a profound debt repudiation method which challenges the validity of your so-called debts morally frees you from the burdens and protects your property our system is often superior to settlement bankruptcy or consolidation which often leave you in a worse situation if you feel the moral obligation to take care of yourself and your family then I urge you to consider taking action right now. The economy will not wait. If you want to know more so you can prosper through the economic collapse, all while staying honorable and true to yourself, then call 877-417-8393. That's 877-417-8393. Or visit free2prosper.com right now. Make sure to listen to the 
corrupt purposes, and all are going to be in control of the population. Total tyranny is amongst us. The burden of humanity rests on our shoulders. The only way is to expose the global crime syndicate known as the New World Order. Together, we are one. Together, we are. And now, soldiers, the battle for free humanity ensues. Join us in the fight. Okay, we're back, and uh, I was talking about the heart chakra and its correspondence to the planet Earth and how we're really here to learn the dynamics of true care. That's what it's ultimately all about, understanding that we're one, understanding that as one suffers, all suffer. And interestingly, the, the color of the heart chakra in the Vedic system or the Anahata chakra is green. We talked about green as being the balance frequency. It is the middle, the middle, the dead center of the visible spectrum of light. It represents mediation or balance. It represents uh, love energy, which is totally tied to the, connect, uh, the concept of care. It represents um, the balance between the left and right brain hemispheres. It represents the color of nature, green energy. This, this is a green planet, green and blue, but in general, the, uh, you know, all of the, the natural forces that grow here on the earth, on the land, are green. You know, green is the color that we need to take in as far as food goes to really um, have health in the body. You know, the, the dark green leafy vegetables alkalize the body, keep us healthy, provide basically, you know, the nutrients that we need. And... Uh, this is completely tied together with the forces of nature, uh, the, the sacred feminine energy, the, the energy of balance and love. And um, again, it's tied together with the concept of uh, balance between the brain hemispheres and, uh, of course, the, the visible spectrum, light energy. Okay, So green is that balance or fulcrum point between the two opposite extremes that we need to, you know, come to to really understand what is needed here, what we need to do, how we need to change, the level of care that we need to develop in order to really make this great change come about, which is basically coming out of a purely left-brain male dominator system of control, hierarchy, compartmentalization, and you know the erosion of rights and freedom uh, to a balanced, holistic society that reintegrates the sacred feminine, you know, the goddess, so to speak, and uh, respects natural law and freedom, and embodies it and lives it and puts it into practice. 
And the heart chakra is really what we need to connect to to do that. That's as simply as I can put it. Uh, and again, this corresponds to the earth. The earth is the heart chakra of the solar system, period. So just sit and meditate on that and think about that for a moment. Um, for some people may not think that there's anything to this correspondence, but there is. And, um, you know, if you just open your mind and your eyes, you will see it. And it isn't just, you know, I'm putting images together to make this work out like this. Okay. Really sit, think about it, think about what was said, look at some of the images and, uh, you know, meditate upon it or contemplate upon it, I should say. So the next chakra, now we're getting into the highest chakras, the higher chakras, the high, the ones above the heart chakra, the heart chakra, again, acting as a fulcrum or a balance point between the lower chakras and the higher chakras. We're getting into the three higher chakras, which are the throat chakra, the third eye chakra, and the crown chakra. So the throat or the shuddha chakra is, uh, corresponds to the planet Venus. Venus is the next uh, closest planet inward toward the sun. Uh, this is the um, speech center, of course, the throat, where our vocal cords are at. And this starts to open us up into higher levels of knowledge and awareness and most of all creativity because this relates with the color blue, which corresponds to the right hemisphere of the brain. And um, this is about how we use our voice. This is about what do we talk about. You know, it's uh, wh what kind of things concern us in our mind so then we um, actually um, express that through our words. Do we do it in a way that is, uh, you know, frivolous, that is vain, that is, um, you know, uh, vapid, that, you know, is concerned with absolute nonsense and things that don't really matter? You know, are, are we talking all day about sports and celebrity gossip, you know, you know, gossiping about our friends and, you know, things like that? Or are we really trying to get messages across to people that matter, that are about what's really going on, that are about what's really going on within us, you know? And I mean as a whole, as a people within us, okay? Um, it's so important what we use our voice to do. It's so important that we care enough to use our voice. Now, so many people know what's going on and don't talk. They, you know, there are people out there who know exactly what is up and what is taking place, and yet they don't activate themselves through the heart chakra to make their way into that let's talk about this you know, aspect, the throat chakra. You know, I, this was uh, the case with myself only years ago. I sat on so much of what I knew to be the case for years for years, I was involved in the dark occult, knew what was basically being done, didn't have the full picture, but knew enough to start speaking out about it, okay? And I didn't for years because I wanted corroboration from many different sources. I, I was insecure. I was too insecure in my knowledge to say, oh, if I put this out there, I, I, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I won't be, I'll be ridiculed. Maybe uh, you know, I'll be doing more damage than good by putting this information out. Uh, now I almost look back and want to kick myself for not speaking out earlier because you know, I, I'm not sure whether we're too late now sometimes. But the, the point I'm trying to make here, and I, I've told the story before on the show, I you know, 
went down to a meeting in Virginia, uh, you know, on uh, I think it was on the topic of the Mayan cal- it was on the topic of the Mayan calendar actually yes it was and uh, um, a, a woman at this meeting uh, said you there's so much knowledge you're carrying with you what are you doing with it are are you speaking this back out into the world to try to enlighten other people and I said no and she said what makes you think you're allowed to do that with the kind of knowledge you're carrying she said you need to have an outlet for this like a, a release valve pressure release valve or you're going to do harm to yourself. And what makes you think that you're even allowed to sit on this kind of information and not put it out back out there into the world to help others? You know? that You'd be doing wrong by not doing it. And, you know, I sat and thought about that for a while, and that's kind of what spurred me on to even start doing my presentations, led to this show and all the other activities I'm involved with. So... Um, Starting to speak out is one of the most important aspects on the road to truth, and uh, you know it's encouraging that many people are activating in that way, but more people need to, a lot more. So that's the uh, throat chakra or the Vishuddha chakra, the planet Venus, and again that's uh, the goddess. The right brain corresponds with the, it's right next to the uh, Earth Moon system as well. It's almost a twin of the Earth, uh, you know, sized planet Venus is. Okay. And, um, you know, it's connected right next to the green energy of the heart chakra. You go upward to the blue energy, and that's, you know, you cared enough, and now you're actually speaking, okay? We have to unite. See, the three things that need to be united, actually all of these need to be united, but the, the key factors are the, the heart chakra and the chakras that surround it immediately, which is the, the throat and solar plexus. So you have the emotions and then how your knowledge is expressed through the voice, okay, we're, we're going to get to knowledge in a minute, and then uniting that with the will center, which is the solar plexus chakra, okay? So Venus and Mars have to be brought together by the heart chakra, which is the earth, okay, the male and female. It's very interesting how it works out this way in, you know, the solar system, you know, the whole idea men are from Mars, women are from Venus, Mars, the god of war, you know, the, uh, the uh, uh, masculine, Yang energy, and then Venus, the goddess, the, the sacred feminine energy. Not a coincidence that it works out like that. The ancients were telling us something, you know. So let's move on to the next chakra. The two highest ones are the third eye and crown. The third eye chakra is called the Ajna chakra, and its color is uh, purple. Um, some people will call this indigo and distinguish it from purple and then say that the crown chakra is a, a, a purple or violet and white, okay? Um, let's just call it purple for now, and um, we can uh, you know, s- see that this chakra relates to the third eye, what is the, uh, the, ba- the balance of the brain hemispheres and the activation of the pineal gland, okay? That's the gland that we're talking about here when we talk about the third eye chakra, but moreover, this represents the awakening of knowledge, and what it really represents is not just mundane knowledge, not just knowledge about the external world, but true knowledge of self and how the self operates in the physical world and the dynamics that are going on in the physical world. Um, the, the truth about this reality is what this chakra is ultimately all about. And of course, that is, corresponds with the planet Mercury, okay, the messenger of the gods in the Roman tradition. In the Greek tradition, he was Hermes. In the Hermetic tradition, he is Hermes Trismegistus. In the Egyptian tradition, he is Thoth, 
the scribe of the gods, and we can go on and on with names for him, but essentially Mercury is the closest planet to the sun, hence he is the uh, messenger of the god of this solar system. Okay? And, you know, they say when they ascribe something to being mercurial, it represents having high, uh, you know, minded topics. It's uh, something that is very cerebral. It, is, it has to do with the brain, the mind. And uh, this is, uh, you know, about our thoughts, this chakra, uh, what we spend our time thinking about, what we spend our mental uh, energy in pursuit of. Are we pursuing the truth or are we concerned about, you know, memorizing statistics about what happened in football season? <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Um, just, uh, you know, so many people have brilliant minds and use them for garbage, nonsense, trivia. Can't tell you how many people spend time memorizing trivia, trivial facts. Why would they call it trivia? People can know so much about so many little tiny things, but the the point is, um, you know, they're not really spending their time on anything that is really bettering themselves or humanity. You know, they're not thinking about the bigger picture. They're spending their time time focused on the trees instead of pulling back and seeing the forest. You know. I was talking with my friend earlier, and we were talking about doctors and scientists and how some of them have brilliant minds and know practically nothing that's worth knowing. Because, you know, I likened it to, a, you know, a desk, you know, somebody's work desk with a million things laid out on it, right? And I, I said to my friend earlier today, these people's minds are like, what they're doing is they're focusing, they're in a drawer in that desk, and then they're in a tiny little container in that drawer, and then they're focused on looking at a, a, a little tiny uh, notch that was made in a, in, in a paper clip inside one of these containers, inside one of the drawers, and they study that little notch and know every little aspect of it. Oh, they, we can measure the angle of the notch in this, the end of this paper clip with exactitude, and we can you know, understand uh, how the notch got there and what the material it's made out of. And you can go on and on into infinitum. Of, of the trivia and the, the, the specialization about what you can know about that little tiny, tiny aspect of that corner of the world, but they don't even know that they're in a drawer, on a desk, in a room, in a house, on a block, in a city, in a country. You see where I'm going with this? They don't pull back and get the bigger picture. Their whole world is that little tiny area of specialization. And this is what I would say as a person that of course does not have access to this, the energy of this chakra, because this chakra is about holistic knowledge. It isn't about left brain logical knowledge only. It isn't about specialization. It's about holistic intelligence, the coming together of the left or logical and the right or creative or intuitive brain hemispheres and merging them as one in this chemical wedding. Okay? The chemical wedding of the merger between the aspects of the left brain and the right brain, which we've talked about many times here on, on this show in the past. Okay? So that is the planet Mercury. It represents the magician qualities, the magical qualities of the individual, really coming online in, in knowledge in a holistic sense. Okay? And finally, we come to the crown chakra. And of course, this is the sun. This is the light, the savior energy. Um, this is the it's called the uh, uh, Sahasrara Chakra in the Vedic tradition. And this is 
connection to oneness is how I could best describe it. This is cosmic consciousness. Some people call it Christ consciousness. Of course, we saw how the concept of the Christ is associated with the sun. And um, again, the, the ancients that really understood this knowledge from an esoteric perspective that were not worshiping the sun in understanding how these correspondences uh, work any more than I am worshiping the sun. Okay? This is a symbol. It's symbolic. God's sun. Uh, we didn't put the sun there. God did. Okay? It doesn't belong to anyone. It's, it, it, it belongs to the creator, in other words. So it's the sun of God. Okay? And this is, um, you know, it, it represents really coming on to the true light of one's true nature. It's understanding that we are one, not just with everybody else around us, but with everything. That this is all an experience. It's a construct. That we are having an experience. We are not the body. We are not even the mind. We are experiencing the body and the mind. We are a spiritual being having a physical experience, not the other way around. And once we connect with that, we can't really be controlled. That's what the dominators and the occultists, the dark occultists, I should say, of this world, don't want us understanding and connecting with. Because once we do, game over for them. Game over. Because everything that is perpetuating this system, every body, every individual that continues to perpetuate their male dominator nonsense system, okay, their complete crap BS system that they've set up and people believe in and support and hold up like their life depends on it, is dependent upon one thing and one thing only, and that is identification with the body as the self. We've talked about this many, many times when we talked about the barriers to the realization of the true self, the five-sense illusion, okay? Uh, you know, ego identification. You know, staying trapped in physical-only consciousness, left-brain-only consciousness, and identification with the ego or the roles that we play in life and believing that they are us instead of what we are, which is infinite consciousness having an experience in the physical domain, period. And that's done to evolve the spirit to higher states of awareness. That's why we basically come into this domain where we do the work and uh, that's that understanding. That's re really knowing it, not just saying it, not just repeating it, but knowing it within us. That's really the activation of that crown chakra. And once that's activated, that person cannot be controlled in the physical sense. They're not going to go along with a dominator's agenda, no matter what it means, because they don't care what happens to their body. They're not going to they're not going to want to control anybody because they know that that's ridiculous. It's nonsensical. You're, you're only harming yourself and violating your own rights in viola violation of someone else's. And you're not going to go along with control. You're not going to go along with the nonsense of control, control or being controlled. And, you know, that's what it's all ultimately about. And the, the ancients who put these systems together really ultimately understood this. This knowledge has been really kind of watered down, it's been perverted, it's been, you know, outrightly, uh, you know, obfuscated and obscured, and it's come down through different traditions in muddied ways, very muddy ways, and that's why people, uh, you know, don't understand it, they don't know what it's all, that it's all ultimately about uh, true activation of care, true activation of intelligence, true activation of will, not playing the game of, you know, control, 
at all on either side of it, being a controller or accepting control and being a slave. And, um, you know, uh, too many people in the world really think that uh, all of these occult systems are somehow negative or bad or evil. And this is a childish mentality. There is no such thing as all uh, people who study the tradition of Kabbalah being bad or evil, any more than it's uh, sensical to say all Christians are bad and evil. No, they're, they're, you know, people who are interpreting things in different ways. There are really good, positive Christians in the world who, you know, look at their tradition and know the difference between right and wrong and live that way. And there are Kabbalists who do the same. And there are Freemasons who do the same. Okay, and there are Rosicrucians who do the same, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's when we're talking about the dark aspects of the occult. These, these traditions have all had falls in the past. They have all fallen, and they've fallen into wrong hands. They want to use their knowledge for uh, control. They want to use their knowledge to manipulate, because it, these are all whole systems of knowledge that are about the self. They're about aspects of us. And if we know them and other people don't, if, if we were so inclined, we could use this to manipulate other people. And they have done this. That's what has been done with these traditions, sadly. And that's why we're in the mess that we're in, because people don't know these, and, and these things and they're still occulted, meaning hidden. And I've said before on the show, the answer is going to come. What we really need to move toward is making the occult no longer the occult because it is not hidden anymore. It is known. And I absolutely disagree with the people who say that that's not necessary, that, that we can do that. We, we can create a peaceful world. We can create a world that's sustainable. We can create a world that's based in freedom, and we can still have a whole bunch of ignorant people in it. It'll never, ever, ever, ever work that way. You know, oh, people say, oh, not everybody needs to get this, to get what's going on. Yeah, everybody needs to get it. No shortcuts. No, well, 5, 10% of people understand it, and they're going to be the leaders, and then you have the same situation repeating itself in another cycle. And the same thing will have to be done over and over again because it'll descend, it'll turn into a system of control, and we'll be right back where we started or where we ended up, I should say. And it's a naive position that people, even within the freedom movement, who think oh, only a few percentage of people need to understand the truth to take over the reins, right? Bull is what I answer back with that. Okay? We need to educate people thoroughly. We need to put this knowledge out into the world until it becomes part of the collective consciousness. Okay? It does need to be known by almost everyone. And, you know, the people who think that that's not the case are this, kind of the same people that think some mystical savior is going to descend from the clouds and rescue us. Me and another friend joke all the time, the tooth fairy is going to be here any day to wave her magic wand and rescue the planet. Just like all the aliens from whatever distant star system they're coming from this week are going to swoop down and pick up the garbage that we've created in our environment, you know, our mass psychosis, you know, in our diseased psyche. They're going to swoop down, clean up all of our garbage for us, and then cradle us in their bosom for all eternity and rescue us from ourselves. 
Good luck with that. Don't, don't sit around waiting for that and expect that to happen because you'll be waiting a long, long, long time. Okay? It's up to us to do this work for ourselves and for no other reason than it's, than it's the right thing to do and for no other reason than it's the truth. But again, you know, abdication is one of the strongest uh, weapons uh, that, uh, you know, are, is continually dangled in front of us like a carrot by the uh, elite. They always want us to abdicate our responsibility to really, really understand, really know. Pass the buck on, you know, that's all. Just pass the buck. It's not your responsibility. You don't need to know this in any kind of fullness. You especially don't need to teach it to anybody else. Just, you know, think that you have it figured out enough and then move, move along and, you know, let the chips fall where they may. And, all the time, they're running right to the bank as a result of that abdication. You know, they have. It's like, like I, I said, and other teachers have said, like Michael Tassarion, his his analogy for it. The elite don't look at seven billion people. They look at one consciousness to be whose neck is to be put into one collar. That's it, and that that's how they they work. They work with. Systems dynamics, that's how they work. Whole systems. They don't think of people as individuals. They think of a, a whole culture, a society, you know, like a little Petri dish, okay, called a culture, okay, with all the millions or billions of cells in that dish, and they put, do an operation to that whole dish, and it affects the entire thing. That's how these elite think. They don't think in terms of, I'm a unique individual, special person with my own unique talents, abilities, and, you know, uh, aspects of my psyche and personality. No, it's 7 billion is one consciousness to be controlled. That's it. And that's, you know, again, people don't want to hear it, but that's part of the reason they're so successful. They think in terms of systems dynamics, and we don't, meaning the bulk of humanity. And that's why they can pretty much have our way with us, because we are, we are not evolved thinkers, and they are. And, you know, I, I'm not picking up for them or, you know, trying to uh, say that, you know, I um, like what they're doing in any way. But I have respect for, you know, the enemy or, uh, you know, the, the other opponent playing on the other side of the chessboard, kicking our ass, pretty much. Uh, that, yeah, I have respect for it, because they know... All of this information. You think the elite don't understand these aspects of the self? They know them with totality, with perfection. They couldn't do what they do unless they knew this. And, you know, again, I'm just going to respond one more time to people who say, well, it, the bulk of humanity doesn't need to understand this. You're crazy if that's what you think. You're crazy. That, that's, that's all I can say about it. Because there are no shortcuts in this game. There are no shortcuts when it comes to self-knowledge. People have to actually do the work for themselves because they cared enough to do it, period, the end. So um, that's all I'll say about that. And that kind of concludes the uh, you know, correspondence aspect of what I was trying to do with the chakras and the planets. And I think that's a kind of a valuable exercise. And... Um, you know, it's a good meditation to go through, or, I, you know, not, it's not even really a meditation. It's a good 
contemplation. Uh, I don't know if I ever talked about the three modes of thought, but that's kind of a good thing to understand in um, looking at religion as well, because our society engages in two basic modes of um, mental activity. Uh, primarily, it engages in one, which is concentration. This is active, alert thought. Okay, and um, now I'm segueing into this from the uh, you know breakdown of the chakra systems in correlation to the planets, because again, I'm saying you don't even want to meditate upon this if you want to do this as like kind of like an exercise to you know look at these different aspects of the self and see these correspondences with col the colors and the planets, etc. You want to contemplate on it, and there's a big difference. So the first mode of human thought that I was alluding to is concentration. This is active alert thought, left brain thought. But this is important for people who are primarily right brained and don't want to uh, engage in the male, uh, masculine consciousness. You know, there, there's a lot of people who are imbalanced toward the right brain, you know, they're the, the spiritual type. The, the, I don't even want to use the word spiritual type, the, the new age type, which we talked about, the new age movement, okay? The new age type never really wants to engage with actual, tangible things that are done on the earth, on the ground floor, okay? Actually doing work on the game board floor, okay? With knowledge that is gained from higher up. Meaning, you know, we look at the whole game as a big chess game that's being played between the forces of light and dark. And if you're going to actually move the pieces on the board, you need to exercise the will to move the pieces. You can't sit there and go, oh, I know all this knowledge of, of how things work at higher levels, but I don't want to soil myself by having to touch that piece on that board. And then the, the dark occultist comes in, swoops down on the board, makes a few moves, and checkmates you. Okay? And that's what's really happening. So we need to understand that concentration, while it is the predominant mode of thought in the world, and that's, you know, sometimes can be not good because people never engage in anything else but left brain thought. That's part of what's keeping us in this uh, manufactured reality. Nobody's engaging the feminine aspects of thought, the, um, you know, intuitive and creative aspects of our consciousness. But, um, you know, when, when we are too right-brained, it can be damaging as well. And we can't really get anything done. We, we drift in this, you know, hazy, uh, you know, uh, quasi-spiritual state, which isn't really a high level of spiritual attainment. It's, uh, it's a trap, if you ask me. And people want to meditate all the time. I've given the example of uh, Dick Sutton, uh, the the teacher who... Uh, tells a story about a friend of his back in the 70s who, you know, meditated so much he couldn't concentrate on any work and couldn't get anything done, thought he was having a problem in his brain. He went to a doctor, his doctor did a brain scan, and the brain scan showed that his neocortex had actually been destabilized in a similar way that drugs can destabilize the neocortex of the brain. And he said, you know, I know you're not high, you know, but you're scanning like you're high right now. Now, I, he did blood work on him, I guess, and, you know, didn't find any drugs in the system. He said, I meditate on hours a day, hours and hours a day. He said, well, that's what it is. He's always in a right brain state. 
never engaging the physical reality that he lives in, that his body, you know, is carried in. We, we need to not totally be engaged in the physical world to a point where we identify with it, but we don't need to neglect it either. You know, th- this, is, this is what led to uh, religion completely conquering and taking over the world, pretty much, is this a right brain state of consciousness. Now we're going to the opposite imbalance. A left brain state and government is taking over the world. Because religion is the binding upon the left brain that keeps people trapped in the right brain all the time, you know, and then controllers who understand that how that works can keep people enslaved practically spiritually, okay, through what they believe. It's a form of mind control. And, you know, government is the opposite. It's binding upon the right feminine, creative, intuitive part of the brain to have a total control system come in and take over. They're both forms of mind control. They just work on different parts of the brain. So concentration, important, can help balance when you're in too much of a right brain modality. Pot smokers, you know, are excessive with it. You know, I'm not saying, we talked about, you know, cannabis as being an entheogenic compound. It could help people get out of uh, excessively left brain modalities. But there's a balance that needs to be struck is what I'm getting at. Not making the pendulum swing from one side to the too far to the other side. Listen, I'm going to take a break right there and give the call-in number again because I'm way past the top of the hour again. If anybody wants to call in, the call-in number, 724-444-7444. Once again, the call-in number, 724-444-7444. The call ID number that you will be prompted for when you call in is 83515. The call ID number for what on earth is happening, 83515. So back to the modalities of uh, human thought. Concentration, left brain modality. Meditation, right brain modality. And we've talked about both of these. The middle or mediating modality of thought is contemplation. And look, right in all of these words, I, I think I've mentioned this before on the show, but I'll say it again. Concentration, right? We break down the words. This is green language. This is alchemical language, okay? We've talked about green language. You only really see it if the, the consciousness is attuned to the green frequency. It's not red. It's not blue. It's not left brain. It's not right brain. It's in the middle. Concentration. Consent. Con means come together or together or with in Latin. It's a prefix. And sen, centra, concentra, concentration, right? And then the last part of these words, so you have come together or together, center in the middle, center, right? And A-T-I-O-N ends these words. Concentration, meditation, contemplation, ation, okay? A-T-I-O-N, at-I-O-N. Okay, this is green language. It's word pun language. Okay? At, I, on. The I is on. You are at the state of consciousness that makes the I on. Okay? On is another word for light. Okay? On means the sun or the light. Okay? On, I, on. The I, on. 
not off, not in a state of, of off or being blind, but on, alert, awake. And an ion is a positively charged particle. It could be a negatively charged particle too, but it means that the energy is present. You know, there is energy there, electricity, awakening, ion. Okay? So concentration can help us to come together at the center to bring the eye on if we're in a too much of a right brain state. That's why it's a left brain modality of consciousness that can help us balance consciousness if we use it properly. Meditation, medi, okay, medi means in the middle, the center, at ion, same thing. It can help us to come to the center, to center ourselves if we're too in a left brain state. That's why people favor the method of meditation because we're a largely left brain, physical task oriented society identified with the physical world. So meditation, if we're in a left brain modality, predominantly, can help us to come to the middle again or balance consciousness. But the best way to do it, the best way to do it is to use contemplation. We'll talk about that right after these words. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on the Intel Hub News Network. We'll be right back. Prophecy. 
Now, this has nothing to do with the stock market, but it could have a huge impact on almost every aspect of your life. And recently, he created a video, which you can watch online for free, detailing his biggest and most important prediction yet. And it's a real eye-opener. I can't stress this enough. You should at least watch this free video online today. He explains everything you need to know, including simple steps you can take to protect yourself. You can find the video at www endofamerica8.com. Although this video may be offensive to some audiences, it's worth checking out. Again, that's www.endofamerica8.com. Watch this free video at www.endofamerica8.com. You are listening to the Intel Hub News Network, crushing the New World Order piece by piece. Secure your future. Get your non-hybrid seed pack now. With the looming economic crisis, food shortages, and other toxic disasters, now is the time to be ready. Just click on the Heirloom Organics banner at the top of our Blog Talk radio page today. Secure your future and the future of your family in hard times. Heirloom Organic Seeds. Join me, Joe Joseph, John King, and A.C. Griffith, Thursday and Sunday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern for Freedom of Radio on the Intel Hub News Network. Okay, we're back on what on earth is happening. Uh, I want to wrap up the concept I was uh, talking about before the break. We have a couple more segments to go on the show. I want to try to get through uh, a few pieces of material here. Um, I, I had gotten to the uh, point where I was talking about the three modes of consciousness, uh, concentration, which can assist in balancing right brain imbalance consciousness because it's a left brain modality, uh, meditation, which can assist in balancing uh, left brain uh, dominant consciousness because it's a right brain modality of, of thought, uh, actually quieting the thoughts so that uh, we can uh, come to a place of balance uh, for those who are too left-brained. And uh, the, the, the one that I described is really the best modality of, of uh, thought, but it is a, a lost one or it is practically not engaged in, and there's a reason for that, and that is contemplation. And we see that that is also a green language word because con means together, and um, then we have the word temple in the middle of the word. And indeed, the brain hemispheres are in the temple of the head, okay, the te- between the temples. And this is a reference to the temple of Solomon, again, being the sun and the moon, or the um, left brain and the right brain. So, uh, so contemplation is con temple at ion. Okay, and I know that's a strange uh, you know, sounding way of, of saying that word, but if you think about it in green language terms, if you even understand what I mean by green language, uh, word pun language or wordplay language, what is being said by contemplation is uh, together, at the, uh, br- bringing the temples together, the left and right brain, at eye on, the place at the center, which is the third eye, 
chakra or the, the human pineal gland. Uh, so th- this is one of the best ways of activating the balance between the hemispheres of the brain across the co- uh, corpus callosum, the, the bridge which uh, actually ties these two brain hemispheres together and passes information uh, back and forth between the two because um, it is a form of daydreaming. It is a form of uh, active yet imaginary thought simultaneously. It engages both brain hemispheres. Okay, and this is why it is so heavily discouraged. People discourage daydreaming in just about anything. Okay, uh, it's like a taboo. It is uh, something that is not to be done. It's it's like a forbidden thing in our society, and there's a reason for that because daydreaming engages both brain hemispheres equally. Again, it is active and yet it is creative and imaginary simultaneously. So you're, you're using both hemispheres of the brain when you do it, when you contemplate upon something. Not deeply concentrating on it, yet not meditating, or quieting thought completely, but actually actively engaging it, but in a creative way. And that's what this society doesn't want anyone doing. And that's the lost mode of thought, or the lost mode of prayer, some people actually call it. A simple daydreaming for the manifestation of one's own intentions and the solving of problems that we may encounter. Try it sometime. And I'll guarantee you, if you can get into that mode of consciousness, because it's not even easy to get into, okay? Most people fall into either not being uh, active enough in which they slip into a form of meditation or being too active in which they start concentrating or trying to force the issue. Contemplation is a very subtle balance between these two modes. And when we hit it right dead center you know, pun intended there, okay? It's amazing the kind of things that you can uh, come up with in that state of consciousness. And that's why it's so frowned upon by the dominator culture. So the modes of thought, again, that's also connected with uh, religion in many ways um, because, uh, you know, it is about the manifestation of what we want to see happen and how we want to change ourselves. And people have called that prayer, uh, but prayer is kind of a fallen form of that, uh, that that is descended into simple begging, you know. Uh, just um, placating ourselves to a, a, a you know, desire of some God or a begging that God for manifesting our desires for us. Um, in which case, we don't really learn anything if the answer is just given to us. You know, we didn't have to do any work to achieve it or learn about any aspect of ourselves. We just magically get something. I've never believed in that mo- mode of prayer. Uh, but you know, actively engaging in something like uh, co- um, a contemplation makes a lot more sense to me anyway. But I want to talk about the other religions. We talked about Christianity last week. Briefly, I want to discuss Islam and Judaism as the other astro-theological cults of the ancient world and how these uh, fit into a model that uh, I have noticed and many other people have noticed uh, of this um, uh, correspondence um, principle that I've been talking about all night uh, when it comes to the earth itself as a living, holistic, dynamic system that we're all a part of. And uh, it's kind of controversial. It's kind of something that people have a hard time seeing where when they even do hear it, reject it outright. You know, they, they just think it's nonsense and I'm going to put it out there anyway. I, I don't really care 
I see the correspondences in this. I think it's powerful when we see the correspondences in this model that I'm going to mention. Hopefully I can get to it by the end of the uh, show tonight, but um, think of it as you will. Believe, believe, don't believe it. You know, uh, I say, you know, don't believe anything. You know, if you see the correspondence in it and you value this model, you know, maybe try to relate it to somebody else. But, um, you know, if you think it's it's nonsense, you're within your free will right to uh, think that way. But uh, I see something in, um, you know, uh, recognize a pattern in uh, how the religions of the world have played out in the modern era and the, the geographic positioning of the, the concentrations of these and, uh, you know, other things that I'm going to get into when I talk about this uh, earth brain model. But briefly on Islam, Islam is the lunar astrotheological cult, as we saw that Christianity was the solar cult of the ancient world, uh, handed down to us uh, today as a modern religion. Islam is a lunar cult based on the goddess principle, or the moon, okay? And its symbol is a crescent moon and star, okay? Um, that's telling right there in that the main symbol, again, the main symbol for Christianity is the cross, and we saw how that's actually the cross of the, the zodiac, which the sun is placed upon, and then the story of the sun's trek in the zodiac was patterned around that cross, or the, the quadrant, the four quadrants or quartering of the zodiac wheel. Um, the Islamic religion is uh, based on the moon or lunar cult, but also, uh, as I said, when I, we talked about the story of uh, Isis, uh, Horus, and Osiris, in the Egyptian tradition, the uh, sacred feminine goddess of the ancient world as she was worshipped in the uh, uh, cultures and cosmologies of the ancient world was also um, patterned after the galaxy itself, not just the moon, but it was the moon, the night sky with the stars you know, in, in their ma manifestation you know, uh, at night. Okay, so the full, again, we saw Mary's image with the dark cloak uh, with the night sky stars embedded in it, okay? But, um, and this is Isis, because th this equates to Isis in the Egyptian tradition, because it, it's not just the moon goddess. That's not just what the goddess represented or what Isis in particular represented. It, it was the moon, it was the night itself, it was the blackness of the night sky with all the stars embedded in it, and it was the galaxy itself. All of these things is what the goddess represented. And some of her other names were uh, Newt, okay? And that, of course, you can see her depicted as, you know, bridging uh, over the, uh, the, the two horizons with, you know, she's acting as an arch and all the stars are in her body. Um, and also that's the galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy is a gigantic band. In the, if you can get into a place that's dark enough in the modern world without enough light pollution, you'll see the band of the Milky Way in the sky. Okay, it's the plane of the galaxy, and we'll, you can see that. And it, you know, the Maya called it a, a, the cosmic river. Uh, the ancients looked at it, you know, in the Egyptian tradition and the Babylonian tradition as a great goddess that was arched over the world. Okay. Just a symbol, of course, but 
nonetheless, the point I'm trying to make is that uh, this goddess is who the Islamic religion is patterned after and is given to. See, each major world religion is given to one of the three ancient astrotheological cults. We, of course, have talked about the sun already, and now we're getting into the lunar cult, the, the cult of the moon or the goddess. Okay, and this is Isis, uh, Isis, and we see that the name Islam comes from Isis. It begins with the same letters as her name, I-S, okay, and it means submission. The word Islam is submission. That's what it means. It means submission to God, and this is a right brain characteristic, okay, Sub- submitting oneself, becoming submissive. Again, that's that's yin energy. It's the passive energy. The the dark aspect, not dark in the sense of vile or evil, but dark in the sense of it is it is not the uh, active solar quality, the masculine quality. This is the lunar night equivalent. Okay, passive, non-active energy of yin energy or goddess energy okay so islam is uh it's some of its traditions actually pattern themselves after the worship of the goddess and the galaxy in addition to its symbol being the symbol of the moon and its crescent aspect which again we talked about um, in the Babylonian tradition, um, Semiramis, the goddess, her name was Semiramis, was considered, uh, you know, um, a dove, sometimes depicted as an owl, but definitely looked at as a dove. Okay, again, the dove is the moon in its crescent aspect, making its track across the sky, just like Horus in his, uh, you know aspect as a a golden falcon or hawk as the sun making his trek across the sky as a huge bird again it's again purely symbolic they didn't really think a dove was going across the sky or falcon was going across the sky and that's what the sun and the moon were these are symbols they depicted them symbolically so i've said on this show when we talked about time one of the center uh, central rituals of islam is the uh, journey to Mecca, the pilgrimage to Mecca that serious adherents to the Islamic faith make. And when they go there, they have to strip of their clothing and wear a simple white robe. And there's a reason that it's white. They go to the um, center at Mecca, which there's a large black box, okay, if you type in the Kaaba, the Kaaba at Mecca, this is the center of the Islamic religion. Okay? And it's this huge black draped building that's cubical that all the adherents of Islam, when they make this pilgrimage, make revolutions around in their white robes could see many pictures of this videos of it around this black central cube now that's a strange depiction right there however it's 
very telling once you understand the astrotheological basis of the religion as the religion of the moon or the goddess or the galaxy and the night sky with all of it, the stars embedded in it. And again, I just went through the whole idea that each of us is a solar system or a star, a sun, carrying these different planets, and the, the, the septenary of the body, which is the chakra system, just went through that, okay? This is what the occultist, who really was a, a dark occultist, he had aspirations to being a white occultist, but I don't feel he could ever make that transition. He couldn't put, set down the ego aside enough to really do that, Aleister Crowley, meant when he said every man and woman is a star. Well, he meant that he understood this correspondence system. He understood that we're all a solar system. He understood, you know, how uh, this, you know, religion was actually viewing people. But it, see, it's a debasement of it because they're symbolically making them, they're not really understanding that. They're, they're symbolically making them just dress in a white robe and, and act as a star to go around the center of the galaxy. That This black cube at, at Mecca, the Kaaba, representing the supermassive galactic black hole at the center of our Milky Way galaxy, which is a classical depiction of how Maat was viewed in the Egyptian tradition the goddess of the night sky with all of the stars embedded in it. Ma'at's sons. This is where the word mason comes from. Mason. The sons of Ma'at, the Egyptian goddess of the night sky and galaxy. The, the stars, the suns, okay, or stars, the lights, the points of light of the stellar tradition. Okay, the, 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 the stars in the night sky, and they are Maat's sons. Maat being the galaxy or the fabric of space herself. Traditionally ca called Newt in older Egyptian traditions. Isis in newer ones. This is the basic underlying um, tradition that underlies Islam. It is given, this is one of the modern religions that is given to one of the three cults of the ancient world, the astrotheological cults of the ancient world, and this one happens to be patterned after the moon or galactic goddess. And it's right there in their rituals. So I, I'll probably post a video of the uh, celebration around uh, and rotation of uh, uh, Islamic of the Islamic faithful around the Kaaba stone at Mecca, the Kaaba um, uh, building, I should say, at Mecca. So, um, tons of correspondence is there to look into as far as astrotheology is concerned. The Ju Judaic tradition, okay? So, Judaism, it's the, uh, it, this is really the mother tradition of both Christianity and Islam. They, it is older than both of them. And as we're, we're going to see, and I'm going to spend a great amount of time, probably the whole show next week, uh, um, talking about the Kabbalistic tradition, Kabbalah, and how it is the root of Judaism. And Judaism is sort of a fallen version of it. And um, how 
to really understand Kabbalah is also to understand the self and how that has a dark tradition to it as well. Again, all of these occult schools have a light and a dark side. We have to become more mature in our understanding that these traditions can help to enlighten ourselves, enlighten us, and help us to enlighten others, or they can be used to manipulate and control. It is just information. It is how it is used that determines its outcome. Okay? We can't get into the idea that all Freemasons are evil people. All people who study Islam are evil people. All people who study Judaism are evil people. All people who practice Kabbalah are evil people. It, it doesn't work that way. That's a, a, a simpleton's uh, viewpoint of any aspect of the world. Okay? Now, you know, we can talk about, you know, blanket statements when it comes to not understanding natural law and, you know, trying to add one polarity and get another. Yeah, these are, these are absolutes. You're, you're not going to do that, you know. You're, if you're violating somebody else's natural law, you're wrong. Natural law rights, you're wrong, okay, all the time. Not some of the time, all of the time. The people who are doing something like that are always ignorant. Not half of the time, not 75%, 100%. There are times that blanket statements apply. When it comes to the study of different mystical traditions, I don't think we can employ blanket statements. We have to understand the context in which the knowledge is being studied and used. And I th think there are very many people now that are starting to come on to that understanding and not look at it like, oh, I shouldn't be looking into this or that or that. You need to take it all in as much as possible and then use it for good because you know what natural law is and you know what sovereignty is and you know what right and wrong are, period. And these things will help you to gain a greater appreciation of the self and the aspects of the personality. So all I want to really say about the uh, Jewish tradition, the, uh, the uh, tradition of Judaism at this point is it is the stellar cult. It is the religion that is given to the small lights of the heavens. Again, now we've already seen Christianity is given to the sun or the solar cult. Islam is given to the moon, the lunar cult of astrotheology. And Judaism is given to the stellar cult, the cult of the stars and planets. And this is the reason that the God of Judaism which in their biblical texts in the Torah is called Elohim, one of the names for God. Elohim is a plural word in Hebrew. As a matter of fact, it's plural feminine. They're talking about, now, Judaism as a religion specifically espouses a singular masculine God. However, the word for God in their religious text is Elohim, which is feminine plural. And the reason for this is it is the, the astrotheological gods that this religion is given to are a myriad of stars in the heavens and the planets that can be seen with the naked eye. These are the gods of the Judaic religion. There isn't actually one. As a matter of fact, the whole idea of monotheism is 
doesn't really specifically apply to Judaism. People think, oh, it's a monotheistic religion. Judaism is a religion in which one God is chosen out of many that were originally believed in by the original um, tenets of this religion, the original uh, priests of this re- priest class of this religion, I should say. Okay? In their original teachings, it was taught that they believed in and worshipped they worshipped one God out of many that were believed in. So it wasn't that they thought that there was only one God. This is how it comes down to us in modern terminology. But they actually, it was a, a pantheistic religion as far as that they believed that there was more God than just one, but they chose one specific God out of the many that they felt to exist. Okay. That's the, the way that it has come down to us as a monotheistic religion. Now, the name Elohim, again, is about the stellar aspect of this ancient astrotheological cult, the stellar cult, and the stellar cult people of the Semitic region of the world. So that's the reason that this word Elohim is pluralized, because that's what it's ultimately really referring to in the astrotheological interpretation, at least, because we can get into other um, dynamics and other interpretations of uh, why that word is pluralized. But again, we have to look at also that Saturn is one of the main gods of this religion. This is a Saturnian-based religion in addition to being the star-based religion. And just, I mean, as simple as it gets, folks, it's right in front of us. The symbol of this religion is a star. I mean, right in front of us. The, the cross of the zodiac is the symbol of Christianity. The moon is the symbol of Islam. And the star is the symbol of Judaism. It's right in their symbols. How much more in your face does it need to be, is what I want to know. Right in the very symbols, the stellar cult has the star on its, its, its stamped as the symbol of its religion. The lunar cult, the symbol that is given to that religion is the moon. And the cross, which we talked about the importance of the symbol of the cross when it comes to understanding the movement and story of the sun as the ancients told it and saw it, visually depicted it, is given to the religion of Christianity, which is the solar-based religion. It's right in the symbols, out in the open, out in the open. And still people will debate that this is the origin of religion that astrotheology has anything to do with it. Saturn being, uh, the, the, again, the god of the planetary system as this stellar cult saw it because it's the farthest body that can be seen with the naked eye. And hence, its orbit contained all the rest and therefore it was the father of the planets. Okay, It had the widest range, I guess you could say, that, in, that it took all the other planets into account in its big ring, in its arc, okay, its orbit. And they called the planet El, which means God, 
They called Saturn L. E-L. From this term, we get the word elite. From this term, we get the word um, uh, elder. Okay? Followers of this Saturnian-based cult. Okay? It's a derivative of light. We get the word illuminated from it. Okay? And again, there's something to the bringing together of these symbols, too. You know, the, the upward-pointing triangle called the blade, masculine energy. The downward-pointing triangle called the chalice, the feminine energy. These are archetypal symbols. Bringing them together, we get the seal of Solomon, the sun and the moon. So I want to... All right. I'm going to talk about the... Um, principle of correspondence to start out with next week, to lay out this earth-brain theory, okay? And it, it'll be a controversial one. Hopefully, we'll get more callers. I have a couple of callers on the line. Uh, I have one caller on the line. I'm going to go to him now. We'll wrap up the show with a call and, you know, talk about a few things uh, going out, but I'll save getting into this principle of correspondence for next week. Brought up a whole lot of things on the show tonight. Uh, I'll post some images. I'll post um, a podcast. Uh, I'll post a, a video of the uh, the um, uh, rites that take place at Mecca, and um, we'll get into the uh, principle of correspondence as it relates with the brain and the earth and the religions next week. And then I'll probably spend the remainder of the show talking about the Kabbalistic tradition, uh, segueing into that, because again, um, I'm going to begin. Uh, outright initiation into different occult uh, schools of thought on this show as we move forward, particularly uh, as we get closer to the section where we're going to talk about symbology. And uh, in that section, we're, you know, I want to lay out some things on Kabbalah before we do that, and then uh, on that section I'm going to delve heavily into Freemasonry. So uh, uh, look forward to an occult initiation in the coming weeks ladies and gentlemen, on this show. Uh, caller. It's a non-member in the uh, chat forum on TalkShoe. You're live on what on earth is happening. What do you have for us this evening? For Interpassio, we are ready for this initiation. We are waiting patiently. It is your nemesis, your old friend, Bob from Cincinnati. My friend, Bob, how are you? I'm good. How about you tonight, Mark? I'm doing well. You are, you are pounding it out here, and um, uh, the connections, yes, these parallel, uh, the, the, uh, the chakras are the planets, are representations of the planets, are representations of uh, the spheres of the Kabbalah. Uh, this is amazing. I mean, I didn't even know what a Kabbalistic tree was two years ago, and now you're telling me that there are these connections between these major uh, important things in our lives. This is unbelievable how this knowledge has been hidden away, even from a person like me, and I guess I can only speak for my own uh, realization of this, is that I've, I'm a guy who kind of dig, uh, dug for this kind of stuff for, for decades, and yet only within the last few years, it seems to all of this is pouring out. You are a change agent, and we appreciate uh, what you're speaking about. And before I step back, I would like to say... Um, uh, I'm just going to step back. I'm not going to run away like I normally do, Mark. Um, but uh, the the uh, the Kaaba, this giant black cube in Mecca that 
that the masses swirl around, that, that the Muslims swirl around in holy ecstasy. This is the same black cube that is worn, as you already know, Mark, on the forehead of, the, of his uh, supposed nemesis, the holy man, uh, the rabbi, the Jew, uh, when he is in earnest prayer, he wears a tiny, small, black cube strapped to his forehead, and thus, just in the base of it, as you already know, they're sharing a commonality, and that is amazing and exciting to examine. Absolutely, absolutely. And these traditions all really converge. And uh, this is the reason that some researchers, I can't remember the exact individual who coined this phrase, but when I first heard it, I almost fell off my chair laughing, called them the desert sky god religions. That's what these all are, because they all ultimately come from the same you know, basic region of the world. Okay, You have Egypt, you have the Semitic region, you have Babylonia, you have uh, you know, uh, Turkey and, uh, and Saudi Arabia and Iran, Iraq, etc. Okay, particularly Iraq because that was where Samaria was. Okay, and all of these, um, you know, you have Phoenicia, Cana, which is what we call Israel now. There. Okay, and all of these um, uh, basic religions derive from the same region of the earth, which is the Middle East, essentially, what we call the region called the Middle East now. Okay. And I'm going to talk about that next week when I talk about the principle of correspondence. Uh, you know, I'm going to spend next week on probably half the show on the principle of correspondence and then the other half on Kabbalah. And these, these concepts relate to each other. Because we have to understand that as our consciousness is moving, evolving, or in some cases devolving collectively, we're going to see things play out in the external reality that we live in that correspond to those movements in consciousness. It's inevitable because consciousness is everything. It's tied together with everything that, that we are, everything that we are surrounded by, everything that we experience. And I'm going to hopefully, hopefully, my intention here is to get people to look at as happens with the very small will be reflected in the large pattern, the very large pattern that we see play out. And that's the model that I'm going to lay out for those who have seen my video. They, they, they're, they're, they've seen this and are familiar with it, but I'm going to do my best to try to break it down in, uh, in symbols and words next week on the air, and I think people will get a lot of it if they follow uh, what I'm saying and uh, kind of contemplate it. Again, you don't need to concentrate on it. You don't need to meditate it. Just contemplate it. That's what I ask. So, Bob, I want to thank you for uh, bringing up great points, as always, and I'm glad that you're uh, you know, uh, enjoying it and looking forward to uh, looking deeper into some of these occult traditions. Because, um, yes. Well, no, I, and I agree. And, and, Mark, thank you again. I, ridiculous that I say it again, but uh, uh, you're, you're explaining things to the majority of us out here, and we appreciate it. You know, I'll be honest, Mark, you were the first person as since, before and since uh, – that introduced to me, and I think this is very important if, if one is to understand hermeticism uh, and the, the profundity or the, the profoundness of it. I, I'm, I'm misspeaking and I apologize, guys. But anyway, the Temple of Solomon. This is not, see, up to this point, even now, they're trying to convince people this is a physical structure. And maybe yes. it was. And maybe it was. And I, I yes. won't, that's not my, my, my pose here, my point here. What I'm posing or putting out here is that Mark 
was the first and only person to share with us that the Temple of Solomon is consciousness, is a That's construct right. of consciousness. Oh, my God, that is a game-changer, Mark. Thanks yep. for putting it out there. Thank you, sir. Have a wonderful evening, Mark. The Temple of Solomon, as the kingdom of heaven, is within. That's a great way to end the show, ladies and gentlemen. That's pretty much all we have time for. We've got about you know, 20 seconds, 30 seconds left in the show. I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, have a great New Year. Have a safe uh, celebration uh, on New Year's Eve. And uh, tune in next Tuesday night, uh, same, same time, uh, for uh, our further explanation and further delving into religion. And uh, we'll be looking at some deeper traditions as we just talked about. So once again, you've been listening to What on Earth is Happening. My website is whatonearthishappening.com, the network's website, the Intel Hub News Network. Thanks a lot, everybody. That's all we have time for this evening. Good night.